0: Would you please stand for the reading of God's word? Our passage this morning is taken from John 8, 12 through 30, page 4 of your bulletin. Again, Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So the Pharisees said to him, For it is not I alone who judge, but I and the Father who sent me. In your law, it is written that the testimony of two people is true. I am the one who bears witness about myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness about me. They said to him, therefore, where is your father? Jesus answered, you know neither me nor my father. If you knew me, you would know my father. Also, these words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple, but no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come. So he said to them again, I'm going away and you will seek me and you will die in your sin. Where I'm going, you cannot come. So the Jews said, will he kill himself since he says where I am going, you cannot come? He said to them, You are from below. I am from above. You are of this world. I am not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins. For unless you believe that I am He, you will die in your sins. So they said to him, Who are you? Jesus said to them, Just what I've been telling you from the beginning. I have much to say about you and much to judge. That are pleasing to him. As he was saying these things, many believed in him. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Who is Jesus Christ? Now, before you jump to answer that question, I want you to really consider, think about your answer. And where it comes from. You see for 2,000 years people have been trying to answer that question. Who is Jesus Christ? And they have come up with a lot of different answers. In the first century. Some people thought Jesus was a teacher. Others thought he was a prophet. Others thought he was a political leader of some kind. Yes some believed he was the Messiah. But many. Many denied it. They thought he was a threat and they condemned him to die on a cross. Today, there are as many versions of Jesus as there are causes and agendas the prosperity Jesus, the healthy living Jesus, the progressive Jesus, the conservative Jesus, the fundamentalist Jesus, the emergent Jesus. It's no wonder that A.W. Tozer put it this way, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Or to put it another way, for us this morning, sometimes who we believe Jesus to be reveals more about us than it does about him. And so the question to us this morning is this, do you know the real Jesus. Do you know Jesus Christ for who he says he is? Or do you have a different Jesus in mind? A couple weeks ago, Mark preached on Jesus' invitation to a crowd. Jesus said, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me. This morning, we look at that crowd's reaction. They were there When Jesus said, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me. How do you think they responded? Well, in many ways, the way that you and I would have responded if we were there that day. We would have wondered, who is this man? Who is this man and what is he talking about? We would have had questions. And so what follows when Jesus says, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me, is a series of questions, an interrogation. Four questions posed to Jesus and four responses given by Jesus, each beginning with, I am. I am, I am, I am, I am. This morning, Jesus is going to tell us who he is, for who he says he is. He's going to tell us four things. First, Jesus is the light of the world. Second, Jesus is the truth. Third, Jesus is the Son of God. And fourth, Jesus is the Son of Man. This morning, if you are a Christian, if you are not a Christian, either way, you probably have some understanding of who you think Jesus is. The question is, if you're a believer, is the Jesus that you follow the real Jesus? And more gravely this morning, if you are not a Christian, One, welcome, we're glad that you were here. It's the Jesus that you have rejected, the real Jesus. This morning, my prayer for you is that you would see Jesus for who he says he is, and that you would bow down and worship him. First, Jesus is the light of the world. In John 7, the crowds who had gathered that day, they begin to question, they begin to wonder, they said, could he be a prophet? Others said, this is the Christ. Some said, but is the Christ to come from Galilee? They were confused. They were divided among themselves about who Jesus was and what he had come to do. And so in response to this question, is the Christ to come from Galilee? Jesus says this, John 8 verse 12. Look with me in the bulletin or if you have a Bible. He says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Jesus' response to the first question, is the Christ to come from Galilee, is this. I am the light of the world. What does that mean? Well, first he says he is the light. Now, light is not a new theme in the Gospel of John. If you remember, John 1 says that Jesus is the light. In him was the life, John writes. And the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. But there is another reason why Jesus chooses this moment to say that he is the light. Again, if you were here a couple weeks ago, you know that this episode, this event, all took place during the Feast of Booths. And during this feast, there are a couple elements used in the ritual worship Water and light. And so it's no surprise that Jesus chooses these two elements to talk about who he is and what he's come to do. With water, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink, and now light. During this great festival in the temple court of women, there were four giant golden candelabras, each 75 feet high. Each with four branches, with bowls of oil. And these four giant candelabras were lit during this festival. Imagine something that tall, that high, illuminating not only the temple, but the temple being raised up in the city. Light illuminating from the temple all over Jerusalem. And this light was supposed to be symbolic of the glory of God in the temple. It is right next to, even underneath these candle obers, that Jesus declares, I am the light of the world. I am God's glory come to earth. I am here. I am present in my Father's temple. I am the light. But not only does Jesus say he is the light, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Now, What does he mean by that? Well, not only is he referencing these great, huge candelabras illuminating the city, but he's responding to a question. Is the Christ to come from Galilee? And so Jesus responds by quoting a prophecy. Isaiah chapter 9. Isaiah writes, In the latter time he has made glorious the way of the seas, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them light has shone. Jesus is quoting back to them the scriptures they thought they knew so well. And he's saying, of course the Christ is to come from Galilee. Isaiah prophesied it. I am fulfilling it. Light from Galilee of the nations. Light of the whole world. And so by Jesus declaring this, he is saying the light has come not only for Israel, but for all peoples, every tribe, every tongue, every nation, light to fill up all peoples of all times. So what does that mean for us today? There is no doubt that our world is filled with darkness. As our confession of sin this morning so appropriately put it. This darkness that we see in our world war, famine, disease, and conflict. This darkness in our own nation, strife between class and race, socioeconomic status, politics, religion. This darkness in our own relationships, perhaps right here in this room. The way that we fight with one another. The way that we fail to really understand where the other person is coming from. And yes, even darkness deep in our own souls. These hidden sins that we keep buried so deep within that if anybody knew about them, we would be so ashamed and so we keep them in the darkness. For Jesus to be light of the world means that there is not one square inch of this world whether this world around you or the world within you, that His light cannot penetrate. There is not one square inch of your soul, however dark it might seem, that His light cannot overcome. He is the light of the world and He has come for the darkness. Sometimes we think that Jesus There's no way that he could love us. That our lives are just too dark, too depraved. We fail to remember that it is exactly the darkness that the light of Jesus Christ seeks out. Dostoevsky, in his great novel, The Brothers Karamazov, has a short story. A short story about Jesus returning to earth. And as he tells the story, Jesus has come back to earth during the Spanish Inquisition. And the church, recognizing Jesus for who he is, sees him go about what he's come to do. Where do you think Jesus went? Not to the churches. No, Jesus went in the story to the darkest places of humanity to heal the sick and the diseased, performing miracle after miracle after miracle. And so in the story, the church becomes threatened, and they go after Jesus They arrest him. They interrogate him. And they put him on trial for getting in the way of their mission. And as they condemn him to die, for getting in the way of their agenda, Jesus, it says, rises up and kisses the grand inquisitor on the cheek. See, we fail to recognize and remember that Jesus, when He came 2,000 years ago, He came for the darkest people, the darkest places of humanity. Not for those who are well, but those who are sick. And this morning, that is good news for us, is because we are in darkness, and we have been given the light of Jesus Christ. And so may our churches be filled with those who have been brought out of darkness and into light. And may we see our churches expand into the darkest regions of our worlds that the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ could shine brightly. May we remember that Jesus Christ has come to light up every inch of our world. Second, not only is Jesus light of the world, but Jesus is true. And so the Pharisees respond to this with a question, not really a question so much as an accusation. Look with me at verse 13. It says, so the Pharisees said to him, you are bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. You see, they're trying to catch Jesus in a contradiction. In the law, it said that there had to be two witnesses in order, at least two witnesses in order for testimony to be true. And not only are they trying to catch him in a contradiction about the law, but they're trying to catch Jesus contradicting himself. Earlier in John 5, Jesus said, if I alone bear witness about myself, my testimony is not true. See, but what they failed to realize is that Jesus is the one, the only one, who can bear witness about himself and it would be true. Why? Look with me in verse 17. Jesus says, in your law it is written that the testimony of two people is true. I am The one who bears witness about myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness about me. This is the second I am statement. He says, I am the one who bears witness about myself. Why can he do that? Because every time Jesus is speaking about himself, there is another witness with him God the Father. And I would also tell you this morning as we celebrate Pentecost, this side of Pentecost the giving of the Holy Spirit to the church, there is also a third witness given to us as a church this morning. There is a triune witness with Jesus Christ, bearing witness that Jesus Christ is the truth. And He is bearing witness today. Where is Christ bearing witness today? Right here. The Word of God. Bearing witness of who Jesus Christ is and what he came to do. The very word of God, the witness of Jesus Christ. And not only is the word his witness, but John tells us again in John 1 that Jesus is the word himself. He is the word And so it is no wonder that so many died during the Reformation to make sure that you and I could have this Bible translated into common English. What does the word mean to you? Do you see it as a chore? A box to be checked off? Or do you recognize it for what it is? This precious witness given to us. The one who bears witness about himself. Do you know Jesus Christ for who he says he is? All you need to do is come to the word from Genesis to Revelation. Jesus is bearing witness about himself. Our world is desperate for the truth that this word speaks. In a world that calls truth into question, a world that says truth is relative, even the staunchest skeptic recognizes the need that there actually be something out there that is absolutely true. I'm reminded of a story about David Hume, skeptic, Scottish philosopher. It's said that he was actually there during the Great Awakening when George Whitfield was preaching. And somebody recognized him to be who he was as a skeptic and said... Why are you here? You don't believe the gospel. And David Hume points up at George Whitfield preaching and says, "No." But he does. The world is crying out for truth. Jesus Christ is our truth. Third, Jesus is the son of God. And so again this interrogation continues. They're questioning Jesus about who he says he is. And with each statement, I am the light of the world. I am the one who bears witness about himself. They have more questions. Verse 19, it says, they said to him, therefore, where is your father? They're hearing him talking about the father. This second witness. And so they say, well, where is he? Where is your father? And Jesus answered you know neither my, me nor my father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. These words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple, but no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come. I love that real quickly. Jesus is the one who lays down his life. Even as serious as that, this situation is becoming, no one arrested him in that moment because his hour had not yet come. And so he says to them, I am going away and you will seek me and you will die. In your sin, where you are going, or where I am going, you cannot come. So the Jews wonder, well, is he going to kill himself? Since he says, where I'm going, you cannot come. And he says to them, I am from above. You are from below. You are of this world. I am not of this world. I told you, you would die in your sins unless you believe that I am he. Literally. Literally. You will die in your sins unless you believe, I am. In the Greek, literally it's translated, there's no he. It just says, I am. In Exodus chapter 3, Moses says to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask, What is your name? what will I tell them? And God says to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God tells Moses that his name is I am. And this morning, Jesus is declaring to these people and to us, unless you believe that Jesus is, I am the Son of God, you will remain in your sin. He says, you, you don't know me or you don't know the Father. If you knew who I was, then you would know the Father. He says, you are from below. I am from above. You are of this world. I am not of this world. I am. Jesus is claiming to be the Son of God. And it was polarizing then and it's polarizing today. It's supposed to be. You can believe what you want about Jesus. When you recognize that Jesus himself said that he was God, you really have one option. Either you believe that he is or you believe that he isn't. C.S. Lewis gave a series of lectures that later became a book called Mere Christianity. And in these radio addresses, this is how he put it. I'm trying here, Lewis says, to prevent anyone from saying the really foolish thing that people often say. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. This is the one thing we must not say. A man who is merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a good moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with a man who says he is a poached egg. Love that British humor. Or else he would be the devil of hell. What's Lewis saying? He's saying for Jesus to say that he is God, it is polarizing. You can't just say he's a good teacher or a kind man or a good example. Because anyone who says that he is God and is not is either a liar and out to get you. Or he's crazy. And so you are left with a choice. Jesus Christ He said he was the son of God. What do you believe? Lewis goes on and says, you must make a choice. Either this man was or is the son of God, or he was a madman or something even worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him. You can kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any nonsense about him being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. But what does it mean that Jesus Christ is the Son of God for us? I want you to know this morning that it is good news. As polarizing as it is, it is not meant to be devices, divisive in and of itself. It's meant to be a declaration of good news. See, there are over 5,000 religions in the world today, and every single one of them is essentially the same. What do we need to do as people to get our way to God? There is just one that declares that God has come to us. What we teach in the gospel of Jesus Christ is that God has come to us, Jesus Christ, the Son of God. He has come for you, He has come for me. No longer are we going to try to scrape our way up to God with what we know or perhaps some goodness in and of ourselves, no. Jesus Christ, the light of the world, has come to you. To rescue you out of darkness. And this leads us to our fourth and final point this morning. Jesus is the Christ. At this point, the Pharisees can't take it anymore. I mean, at this point, his I am's are becoming a little bit more bold. He's not just saying who he is, but now he's actually claiming the name of God himself. He is saying, I am. He's claiming to be the son of God. And so they... Verse 25, they said to him, who are you? Okay, who are you? Enough is enough. Who are you? And Jesus said to them, just what I've been trying to tell you from the beginning. I have much to say about you and much to judge, but he who sent me is true. And I declare to the world what I have heard from him They did not understand. They had been speaking to him about the father. And so Jesus says to them, When you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he. Literally again, then you will know that I am. I do nothing of my own authority, but speak just as the Father taught me. And he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. The Pharisees at this point are beside themselves. Who are you, Jesus? And Jesus responds, you will know that when the Son of Man is lifted up, you will know that I am. Jesus is the Son of Man. The Gospels, the Bible refers to Jesus as both Son of God and Son of Man. And you might think, well, what does that mean? Perhaps it's meaning, okay, his divinity and his humanity, and you would be half right. But what you must recognize is that Son of Man is a title. is not just simply speaking about the incarnation of Jesus Christ, although it is. It's also speaking to why. Why did Christ become one of us? Why did He come to us? Why did He come and take on flesh? Why fully God and fully man? He's quoting a prophecy, Daniel 7. Prophecy about the coming Messiah. Daniel says, I saw in the night visions and behold with the clouds of heaven there came one like the Son of Man. And when he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. In Daniel's vision, he describes the coming of the Messiah and he gives him a title, Son of Man. And so here they are. These Pharisees finally asking the question of all questions. Jesus, who are you? And this is Jesus' answer. I am the Messiah. I am the Christ. I am the Savior. I am the one you've been waiting for. You see, they had been waiting for generations and generations. The prophets foretelling when this Savior would come. This Messiah. This anointed one. The one who would come and rescue them. The problem was not that they didn't believe in a Messiah, their problem was that they didn't believe Jesus was him. They couldn't accept the fact that this Messiah that Jesus claimed to be had come in rags. They couldn't accept the fact that this Messiah came not with a sword, but to lay his life down. He wasn't what they expected. Who is Jesus Christ? Jesus says, I am the Messiah. I am the Savior. And for us, 2,000 years later, a few thousand miles away, our problem is not that we've been waiting for a Messiah. We don't believe Jesus is him. Our problem is that we haven't been waiting for a Messiah at all. We don't recognize how deeply, how badly, how desperate we are for rescue. August 23rd, 1973, a gang of robbers attacked a bank in Stockholm, Sweden. For an entire week, they had kept hostages who were there that day as collateral against the now formed police outside of this bank And during this standoff these hostages became actually emotionally attached to their captors. So much so that as police tried to offer them assistance, rescue they refused it. And a week later when the standoff ended they actually defended their captors. And to this day it's where we get the phrase Stockholm Syndrome. When you are emotionally attached to your captor in a hostage situation. This morning I want you to know that many of us suffer from a spiritual Stockholm syndrome. We're emotionally attached to our captor sin. And because we are so emotionally attached, we don't recognize our deep need for rescue so much so that when the rescuer has come for us, we want nothing to do with him. We'd rather be left in our sin. Jesus Christ, the light of the world, has come for you. And he, this morning, has revealed himself in his word for who he is. He has told us he is the light of the world, he is the truth, he is the Son of God, he is our rescuer, he is our Savior. And not only that, but Jesus tells us exactly how he's going to rescue us. He says, when the Son of Man is lifted up. In John 12, later he will again use this phrase, when the Son of Man is lifted up. And John will tell us, that he tells us this in order that we would know the manner in which he is to die. How will the Son of Man be lifted up? He will be lifted up high upon a cross. He will bear your sin your shame, your apathy, your darkness. Jesus Christ, the light of the world, hung on a cross and died for you. And he rose again that you might have life. Life that is the light of men. So it's no doubt and no wonder why John... Tells us in the last verse of our passage how the crowd responded that day. Look with me finally at verse 30. It said, as he was saying these things, many believed in him. When Jesus declares who he is, we cannot be the same. You cannot stay the same. You must respond. The question this morning is how will you respond? Jesus, who is the light, the truth, the son of God, the Messiah our Savior, who has come to declare to you and to me who He is, how will you respond to Him? May our response be one thing and one thing only this morning. May we fall on our faces in worship. May we see Jesus for who He is, high and lifted up now, ascended Seated at the right hand, may we see him as our God, our Savior, and our King. And may we worship him for who he is and what he has done for us. Let me pray. Father, thank you for giving us your son Jesus. Thank you for giving us the word. Thank you for revealing to us the triune witness. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit now bears witness to us of who Christ is and what he has done for us. I pray that the reality of Jesus who has come to light up the darkest parts of us in our world, may we now respond to you and to him in faith as we worship him as our Lord and Savior, our God and King. In his name we pray, amen.